Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the 409th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Dr. Paul Moses, freelance journalist and former professor of journalism at Brooklyn College of the City University of New York. We're going to be talking about his book, The Saint and the Sultan, The Crusades, Islam, and Francis of Assisi's Mission of Peace. The history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. And our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called Farouk Dinarin. And today we'll be talking about the book, The Saint and the Sultan, The Crusades, Islam, Francis of Assisi's Mission of Peace with Dr. Paul Moses freelance journalist and former professor of journalism at Brooklyn College of the City of New York. Welcome to the show, Paul. Good. It's good to be with you. It's great to have you. Can you give us a little background on the history of the Crusades and specifically the events leading up to the Fifth Crusade? Uh, sure. Let, let me just say, by the way, that I'm not a doctor. I don't want to go. I don't want to. Let me change uh, my notes. This is a faux pas. Faux pas. Uh, okay. I'm a journalist, and uh, and uh, so my highest degree is a master's. Um, but anyway, let's go. Let's go to what you asked. Um, the uh, Fifth Crusade was fought at a point where. Um, Jerusalem had been reconquered by the uh, Muslim leadership, and uh, that was in 1187. And and for a hundred years or more after that, the uh, popes uh, ordered different crusades in an attempt to get that back. They were never successful. At least they were never successful by force, um, because there was one period of ten years where they actually negotiated a sharing agreement, and we can get to that later. But um, at a certain point, Pope Innocent the uh, Third became convinced that the way to go about it was first to conquer Egypt, and that would give uh, strategic control of the region, and and that meant that if they did manage to conquer Jerusalem it would be easier to defend. So it, the um, a, a large army was, was gathered and sent uh, starting in 1218, and they arrived at the uh, mouth of the Nile. And there's a city there, still there, um, although now a little further inland than it once was, called Damietta. And it was very well fortified, and so the crusaders began laying siege to this city at the mouth of the river. And this is when St. Francis, Francis of Assisi, arrives on the scene. By the time he had arrived, there were already many bloody and you know, fruitless battles being fought. Um, so that, that's kind of the big picture of what was happening. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about the players who are involved here. Um, obviously, Francis... Most of us, if we know anything about him at all, we know that he's associated with birds and animals. That's that's about it. Um, and uh, I, I'm I'm not sure that many folks know who Pope Innocent the Third is. 
Um, and I'm certain that very few folks have any idea of who's in charge of Egypt at this point in time. So can you kind of fill in those gaps for us? Sure. Um, well, Pope Innocent III was uh, a tru- truly brilliant man, um, but uh, unfortunately he, he launched some, a series of disastrous crusades, including one against, um, in Europe against uh, uh, supposed heretics, the, the Albigensian Crusade. Uh, that probably some people think it, uh, it was kind of a predecessor to the Reformation era, but uh, were, were centuries before the Reformation, of course. Um, and and he really uh, wanted to um, retake uh, Jerusalem. So um, uh, he he was um, he's really kind of the epitome of. Uh, the uh, medieval church's political power, Pope Innocent. I mean, he excommunicated all of England at a certain point. <laughs> um, uh, the um, uh, he he sent his emissary, um, Cardinal Pelagius, to represent him, and he, he was uh, also very uh, much high-handed. It was actually Pope Innocent who uh, began calling the Pope's vicar of Christ. Uh, Cardinal Pelagius, the first to have cardinals begin uh, wearing red. Um, so they were very conscious of their their status uh, as political players as well as spiritual figures. Um, Egypt was ruled by um, uh, a sultan named Al-Adl, Malik Al-Adl, and... and um, our story really involves his son. So at the beginning of the crusade, Al-Adl was, was, uh, was the sultan of Egypt. And he was the uh, brother of the very famous uh, Muslim uh, warrior uh, and sultan, uh, Sal- who we call Saladin. And so he was closely involved in Saladin's successful campaigns in the 1180s. And um, he was a shrewd player, and he was able to um, become uh, Sultan of Egypt kind of after playing Saladin's sons off against each other after Saladin's death. And they would all come to their uncle for advice on how to deal with the others, and he kind of parlayed that into the one being the one in charge. Um, so, But the focus of our story is his son, Amalek al-Kamal. And... Um, so he uh, he's about the same age as uh, as Francis of Assisi. Um, he he um, uh, and and his his father dies after the war has started. So it's kind of thrown to him to uh, to lead his people against in in this war. So that's where he is. I'm trying to think. There's other players uh, we should talk about. Um, there was a dashing French nobleman named John of Brienne, who was the military leader of the Crusade forces. Uh, he also held the title as King of Jerusalem, but of course the um, Crusades, the, Jerusalem was not uh, in, in, uh, in, in the Crusaders' control at that point. But so he he was basically king of a very narrow strip along the coast uh, that the Crusaders still hold held at that period. Okay, if I can uh, uh, just 
for the uh, uninitiated, some of us who study geology and political science and don't really know a lot about history, uh, we had so many crusades. What was the what was the uh, motivation behind it? Was it strictly religious or was it economic, political? Uh, my army's bigger than yours. What was the motivation well, for all these? Th- there's so much debate over that, and and uh, historians they 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 kind of go back and forth. I see. I think right now there's probably, if I'm not mistaken, there's more of an ec- uh, emphasis on on the religious motivation, which for a long time was was played down by scholars who looked at it more as a, as a sort of a, a matter of uh, exploitation, essentially, you know, of, of uh, driven by desire for for trade and, and conquest. Um, and, you know, I think the answer is it's all of those things. It's, it's very hard to, to put your finger on it. It's definitely religion is in the mix. Um, but as the Fifth Crusade kind of unfolds, you can see that those who want to push it uh, tend to be um, the military leaders from the Italian port cities that that want to push this for for their commercial reasons. Um, so it's 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 all in the mix. I I, I find it difficult to to uh, give one answer to that question. All right, um, we've got about two minutes left, so I want to bring things back to Francis. Can you give us a little background on Francis of Assisi at this point and, and where he falls, and, and how did he end up getting this mission? Francis, um, yeah, I think we kind of have to get away from thinking him, of him only as a guy who, who liked to talk to birds and, and bless animals and, and things like that. Uh, he was a serious man and he he wanted to uh to bring the the gospel uh to everyone he was very motivated by uh making peace which is a point i emphasize in my book um he began this his very hard life of of living without any possessions um only after he was traumatized by his experience in warfare that he went uh, in where he uh, fought for Assisi against neighboring Perugia in a battle in which the Assisians were, were massacred. And, and he himself was imprisoned for a year in an underground uh, cell um, under conditions that would have broken anybody. Um, and, and the only reason he was held uh, and not killed uh, on the battlefield was that his father was very wealthy, so he would fetch a good ransom. And after a year, his father was able to get him out. And that's when Francis cha- changed his whole outlook on life. Uh, studied, prayed, um, fixed churches, um, and and just broke away and found something new, and created this whole lifestyle. Well, there were others doing it in that period too, but created this lifestyle that attracted other young men. Uh, I think in part because they didn't have to go to war to the, all these senseless wars they were fighting. A period when all every all these towns in central Italy were just you know constantly at war with each other, and then within the towns, the merchant class and the aristocracy were at war with each other. So it was a vicious cycle of violence, and uh, I think peace. And I guess what I'm saying is, peacemaking was important to Francis. Uh, spreading the gospel was important to Francis. And living life as closely to the gospel as one could uh, was important to Francis. 
So this was the man he was when he went to the Middle East, which had been a goal of his for a long time. Okay. Well, when we come back, we have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of the show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. The 88.5 FM website keeps you up to date with everything KALA, including a complete program schedule for 88.5 and 106.1 FM. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Paul Moses, freelance journalist and former professor of journalism at Brooklyn College of City University of New York. And we're talking about his book, The Saint and the Sultan, The Crusades, Islam, and Francis of Assisi's Mission of Peace. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Ed, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Jay. Um, Paul, can you tell us what um, compelled Francis to go um, to try and make peace, um, why at that particular time? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it was something that he had wanted to do for a while because he made two prior attempts to reach out to the Muslim world. Um, once uh, an attempt to go to Morocco, he may, he may have made it as far as Spain. Um, another time, uh, heading for the uh, Middle East, uh, his the boat he was on uh, ran into a terrible storm and, and that ended that trip. Um, so I, I, I think it's, uh, it's a combination of his desire to uh, uh, spread the gospel and also to, you know, end the biggest uh, warfare in, 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 in his time. Uh, at least for Europeans, um, and and so so you know I've taken the, the position that that he was essentially trying to make peace uh, through conversion. Okay, um, Terry. Yes, Paul. Can you talk a little bit about how Francis was influenced by his interfaith dialogue uh, with the Egyptian Sultan uh, Malik Al Kamal? For example, I understand his. Uh, Francis's praises of God are very similar to Islam's 99 beautiful names of God. Yeah, so, so uh, Francis eventually uh, sees the, uh, the gore and mayhem around him um, in the Crusader camp uh, after uh, they've lost another battle, and, and he sees as a stalemate in the, in the war, and so he makes it his business to go to visit the sultan in his camp and and i guess this is the surprise of the whole uh, story which is that they hit it off with each other and we don't have a, any any record or much of a record of what they said to each other but we can observe what francis did and wrote uh after he returned home from from egypt 
And as you, as you say, uh, Terry, he, um, he crafted a prayer that, that seems to be very much uh, like the 99 Most Beautiful Names of God, uh, an important uh, prayer to Muslims. He, um, I think the most dramatic thing that, that I, I see is that he revised the rule, the code of conduct of his order, to say that, you know what, we can just go and live peacefully among Muslims and not even, you know, try to uh, preach to them, debate with them, uh, but just to live our faith uh, as an example to them. And, you know, this is during a, a, the war that he, he did that. So clearly he was influenced by meeting the sultan. So there's a number of different things he did um, that, that reflect that. Rick. Paul, um, how did uh, the military leadership and uh, uh, those who were fighting and stalemating uh, view Francis's uh, uh, incursion into the Sultan's tent? Did they support what he was doing? I wouldn't say that. Um, Francis uh, is a really wonderful scene that comes out of one of the old uh, French Crusader Chronicles, where an unnamed friar, uh, it would be Francis, but they didn't even have his name, uh, <laughs> went to Cardinal Pelagius and tried to make the case for him to go to the Sultan. And Pelagius wanted none of it and warned him he would be killed. And I thought at one point implied uh, that he was questioning his loyalty even for why he would even want to do it. But I guess Francis was pretty persistent because eventually uh, the cardinal told him, yeah, all right, go ahead, but if you're killed, it's not my fault. And uh, Blood is and, on your uh, hands, not mine, yes. Yeah, and, and there was another time where the crusaders were going to uh, battle, and Francis had a, um, a message from God, as he put it, uh, uh, some kind of an omen telling him it would go badly for the crusaders. And he went out and urged them not to go and, and, and preached and shouted and and they, they treated him you know shabbily these were you know army of men ready to go to war they some you know friar was not gonna one guy was not gonna stand in their way but but uh so yeah i would not say that um that that was appreciated um the role of the uh, clergy and and religious was to uh, kind of stand on the sidelines of the battle and pray um for its success uh and, uh, you know, we don't have any record of Francis doing that. Um, Paul, so the obvious question to ask at this point is how successful is Francis? And ultimately, what is the disposition of the Fifth Crusade? Right. So Francis, um, he does not succeed in converting the Sultan or in, um, in ending the war in, in any way. Uh, the Sultan does send him back with a, you know, a guard, to, you know, sort of an honor guard to escort him. And some accounts they gave him, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the right to visit uh, Jerusalem. We don't know if he, we really don't know if he went. And uh, so in that sense, it's a failure. I would argue that he planted certain seeds that, you know, were still kind of popping up. And in that sense, it was a success. Uh, as for the war, um, 
the Christians did finally succeed in, even while Francis was there, in taking Damietta. And I think one of the things that probably really turned Francis off um, was he saw, A, the city of Damietta with none of its 80,000 people surviving, um, and B, the, uh, the, the, um, the way the Crusaders acted uh, after they took the city. Um, then they made a big mistake. Cardinal Pelagius pushed the military leader of the crusade to go deeper and deeper into Egypt. And the crusaders really did not know the terrain. Um, there's lots of canals and, and, and stuff like that. And there's problems with getting, getting water for the army. And, and eventually what the sultan was able to do was to raise the level of the Nile. They had different, you know, you know, I guess irrigation ditches and things like that that could raise the level of the river, and they flooded out the Crusader army till they were like knee deep in mud. They were just like, you know, stuck. That was the end of it, and and that's when the uh, Crusaders asked for peace. Uh, the surprise uh, to the Crusaders, at least, was that the Sultan treated them with great dignity, and they couldn't believe it. They they thought he must be secretly a Christian to be <laughs> so good to them. Um, I think the truth of the matter is is that the Sultan took his own faith very seriously, and he followed it in you know how you're supposed to treat your vanquished enemies. Sure. Ed. Yeah. So then, is that the historical significance of uh, Francis coming to meet with the Sultan? Is that, um, you know, the Sultan uh, was um, kinder to his captured foes? Um, well, I, I think the significance for us today, and Pope Francis uh, refers to this now repeatedly, uh, this this encounter. It's just that under terrible circumstances, two people from opposite sides were able to sit down in a friendly way and get to know each other as human beings. And it kind of, uh, it didn't end the war. Um, but I think for that reason, it's being seen as a model for, you know, the beginnings of inter-religious dialogue, uh, I think for peacemaking also. So that that's, that's the long-range impact. Um, the Sultan was a very uh, decent guy. Uh, he was—he he really knew his faith. He—he—he he, um, he, he would love to stay up late at night talking uh, philosophy and religion and poetry with with people. And um, and he, in, to sum up a lot of his story, he—he he, he tried to take the peaceful path where he could. Although he he was still uh, ruthless enough to to be a you know military leader, um, and uh, I I think of him as a pretty good model for today too as a as a leader who um, in the uh, in the Muslim majority world who knew how to relate to Christians. Uh, he had you know he, he was close to the Christian community of Egypt. They thought very highly of him. And and Francis, you know, I see as kind of a model for Christians today because he he can, you know approached them as, as as a Christian, you know, love your love your neighbor, um, and and so 
that's where I think they become good models for us today. Um, could we? I mean, there's obviously differences in in uh, in, in the two time periods, but but uh, that's, I think that's why we're still talking about it today. Is that just they saw each other as human beings, in, in, despite terrible circumstances. All right, Terry. Yes, um, Paul. I was wondering if you could talk about if there were variations uh, to the story of the meeting between uh, St. Francis and the Sultan. Um, does the Catholic Church have a different variation to the one that you researched, or is it very similar? Well, I have to say, there, there are many sources uh, in the medieval era, and I spend a good part of my book uh, showing which ones to pay attention to and which ones not to. Uh, they're, they're heavily influenced by uh, the politics within the Franciscan order, actually, uh, and at the time. So I, I wouldn't say that the Catholic Church has a single view. I think what I'm saying has been, you know, supported by, you know, I, I think it's consistent with the way the Franciscan order uh, portrays the story there, probably the closest to it. Um, and uh, I, even uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger also uh, looked at uh, Francis's uh, journey as a mission of peace, Thought he thought Francis was against the Crusades, but these things are all all matters of debate among historians, and and some will will emphasize um, what some of the early sources say is that Francis's motivation in going was to achieve martyrdom, um, and uh, and and so um, there there's a lot of debate about all of it. In the book, I tried to set out. You know, in, in great detail, uh, but hopefully, <laughs> a sort of a, a nice narrative to read. Um, uh, the some of the evidence uh, to me, a lot of it is who the people were. Um, I think I, I found that Francis's um, great interest in peacemaking. I think we know that that existed, but I I, I don't know that it had been emphasized enough on how much that motivated him. Uh, and the Sultan's inclination to negotiate and make, make peace is also uh, uh, an, an important factor. Um, so I, I've looked quite a bit at the people involved to get, to get an understanding of, of what, the, what the significance of, of their meeting was. Okay, Rick. Yeah, Paul. Um just out of curiosity, why did you decide to write this book? Yeah, well, this goes back a ways um, to uh, post-9-11, uh, which, you know, I had covered as a newspaper reporter. Uh, it was just before I ended my daily newspaper career and went to um, t uh, into a teaching career. Um, and I had been the religion writer, so I had covered... Uh, Muslims in, in, in New York City and in the New York region. And so I had some sense for the religion, and I, and I knew that what I was um, reading about it was, was, was not the full story, that, um, you know, there was a reaction to the um, terrorists um, who misused the religion. But uh, I knew there was more to it, and I happened to learn about this this historical incident one day when I was just leafing through 
a book called The Little Flowers of St. Francis, which is kind of a devotional book written in the late later Middle Ages um, and uh, not particularly good on facts because it, it's written about 100, over 100 years after Francis died. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of um, uh, historical, political issues that are reflected in, in, in some of the accounts. But I read this thing about Francis meeting the Sultan and getting along with him, and I was like, can this be true? Um, and when I started to, to research it and, and found that, yes, this, this really did happen, I was like, why did I never know about that? And it just seemed like a story that was relevant to our, our time. So I been working on a proposal about it and just researching it for a while and then I uh, I put it on the shelf for a bit and then that incident occurred in 2006 when Pope Benedict gave a talk in Regensburg um, where he made some remarks that many in the Muslim world found to be inflammatory they thought he was criticizing the Prophet Muhammad I I think what the Pope was saying at the time was widely misunderstood but uh, the, the the reaction was so strong and angry that I, I started thinking, you know what, you have to write this book. Um, so then I began uh, pushing it more actively, and I was fortunate to find an agent who who made a quick deal for me, and I was able to uh, to get the book published. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 409th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Paul Moses, freelance journalist and former professor of journalism at Brooklyn College of the City University of New York. And we've been talking about his book, The Saint and the Sultan, The Crusades, Islam, and Francis of Assisi's Mission of Peace. The history bus for today's show were... Terry Toppler and Ed Broders, ROI, Relevant or Real, Irrelevant on KLA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KLA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsa Pula Nala, Peace, Reign, and Prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.